Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. I'm your host, Wendy Nystrom, and today's special guest is Mark Legacy. He is the founder of Humpback Hydro. That is a long-duration pumped hydro energy solution. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Wendy. Nice to be here. And anytime. Now, you're you're a, a vastly intelligent human being. You and I have had a few conversations, and you are you are one of the smarter people I have dealt with, so it's a little intimidating. But I want to go into, um, let's start with your background, because you are not a traditionally taught engineer. You are self-taught. So go into, you know, you worked hands-on. You, you had a construction background. It's a very interesting story. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a family. We were kind of like what you call early homesteaders. So whatever we didn't, you know, grow or raise uh, on the farm. And uh, my father was uh, one of the lead iron workers for oh. uh, built like Portman Bridge and all those kinds of things and uh, did a lot of the dams and so forth. And I grew up uh, sort of being that little bug on the wall because, uh, you know, back then, you know, uh, bring your child to work day to get them to push a wheelbarrow was uh, was acceptable. <laughs> so, yes, it was. And you actually learned a lot from that, too. Learn by doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to see how they made mistakes, how they made corrections and so forth. Yeah. And so um, long ago when I was uh, in my youth, I was uh, an athlete and, and traveled. And uh, I got to see for the first time uh, wind turbines all down in California on the hillside. Uh, very compact together. And it was, uh, you know, the advent of... Um, solar panels and being able to uh, create more energy from each panel. And it just got me to thinking about pump storage hydro and the limitations, the environmental damage and so forth. And, and possibly of taking that and removing it from its uh, traditional environment and building it in a new environment where uh, the reservoir would sort of never go dry. And, uh, and that would, led to, I don't know, a few decades of thinking and then in the last 15 years really uh, developing the solution to what it is today. So, so go, talking about um, humpback hydro is, you know, I, I obviously read up on it, you know, in preparation. It's almost circular. So you have, you know, yeah. I, I will oversimplify and then Mark is going to explain it a lot better than I ever could. Yeah. But the initial reservoir is the ocean or a large lake. And it's gravity that pulls it into this other storage facility. In the off hours when you don't need that maximum use of energy, it gets pumped back up into a water tower or storage reservoir that's elevated. And then gravitationally that goes back down towards the ocean and uses that energy. So it's a complete circular motion in four stages. Um, this is a pretty, and this was a patent that you won without artifact. And I want to point out to people, could yeah. you explain what without artifact means? It's actually without prior art. Without prior art, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, um, so without prior art is something I didn't know until my uh, patent lawyer told me, and it was his first ever. Uh, it was. It's kind of like one of the most unique things in the patent world, because usually, you know, uh, somebody's already thought about it and patented, but this was sort of. Uh, you know, completely new, and uh, it was sort of um, creating a a new industry from an existing industry, 
where it could be built everywhere in the world. And so the what you just said was in essence correct, but it has a few more advantages than that. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is not a perpetual motion machine, even though it could be an open loop system or a closed loop system. The energy that's needed to power those pumps uh, either comes from solar or wind or even marine kinetics that can be applied to the structure. And so oh, the cool. lower reservoir is that quadruple backup just in case there is no wind, solar or marine kinetics which is highly doubtful but i'm not one to you know uh take a chance and also too the space was there and it creates the ability for a black start so if we have no panels on the structure we have no external energy coming in we can simply open the valve and allow water to flow in through the penstock and down into the lower reservoir and start operations and this reservoir is designed to client specifications or emergency needs or black start capabilities or ability to refill the pumps uh, or power the pumps to refill the upper reservoir, which is designated to the client's actual needs. So if they need 10 megawatts every hour, then that upper reservoir is designed for a 24, 36, 48 hour at 10 megawatts. And in that time frame, we can then refill as we're like as we recharge, we can also discharge simultaneously. So it doesn't allow for us to ever have any downtime. And we're sort of taking in and distributing energy, transitioning it either to the grid or to other industry services that are needed or to within our own structure for our own uh, operational needs. One of the things, um, well, first of all, let's to explain what long-term duration storage means. Is that that's ten hours or more of storage mm. capability, which most um, most energy devices don't have that. So batteries, I believe, are not able to store them that long. Um, yeah, you can sort of configure the batteries so that you can get a little bit more time and stuff like that. But today, generally, um, the delivery system is two to four hours. Uh, okay. Some have um, uh, have stated that they can go 10 hours or even up to 100 hours of discharge. And, but then the recharge is also then, you know, th that time frame too, right? So if they're discharging gotcha. for 100, they got to recharge for 100. That and makes if, sense. Efficiency can be a real challenge. Like in the beginning, a battery, just like you have your own Duracell at home or your mm -hmm. own phone, you know, eventually over time, it doesn't charge as quick. It doesn't uh, hold the charge as long. And so you're looking at that same kind of scenario when it comes to batteries. And the efficiency is, is really as important as cycle uh, and lifespan is also connected to that. Whereas our lifespan and our cycle repetition are two separate things. So the structure's lifespan is very long and protects the internal workings. And our equipment can be anywhere from 30 to 40 years, oh. uh, depending on maintenance. Yeah, these these turbines today and these pumps are are great. And, you know, because we're using a multiple sets, so we can uh, control our discharge a lot better. You know, like, uh, you know, client set needs 10 megawatts, but maybe some hours he only needs four. 
so we can go down to four and save those six for a later usage. So it's really oh. just sort of transferring energy a lot more efficiently via a water medium, which doesn't have a lot of entropy to it, like other gravity-based. Entropy, so people understand. <laughs> oh, um, wear and tear, right? You know, we all get old, right? So we all get slower, and we all get, you know. Uh, so like you know if you you leave something out and it eventually turns into mold, you know fruit vegetables everything you know has a, a lifespan. You know concrete yes. has a lifespan, uh, but the new age concrete today is is extraordinary and that's why it makes the technology even better because the concrete of today can last anywhere from um, hundred years to up to 300 years from the laboratory tests that have been going on for the last uh, couple decades with ultra high so performance we're finally concrete. catching up to the Romans. We're finally catching up to the Romans. <laughs> yeah, it, this is actually, I would say, on par with Roman concrete, which, you know, back in those days, they used a lot of sort of ash or bone ash. Um, the, the recipe was sort of figured out I mean, you know, eventually, you know, we're going to figure out all those chemical analysis. But the thing with Roman concrete, it just gets stronger over time. And yes, it does. Yes. Yeah. You know, whereas with um, our concrete partners, um, Cortuff uh, out of Virginia and Lightweight Concrete Solutions out of Toronto, um, Chris, who's like kind of like me, but in the concrete world, is the as a guy who's invented concrete that's a uh, thousand kilograms lighter per cubic meter oh, uh, nice. can be made with seawater. Hugely uh, important durability. Yeah, non-permeable, and uh, the curing stage is extraordinary. Um, and Cortuff is just this ultra-high performance concrete is six times better than what we've been used to. So. Things like buildings in Miami falling over because of erosion and cracking and, and fatigue and structural. Yeah. <laughs> this won't happen with this kind of concrete. It, it was originally developed um, as a way for ballistic protection with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And so huh. my, my partner and CEO is uh, Colonel Brian Green, who is the former commander of... Um, the Engineering Research Development Center at, in Vicksburg. Uh, he's a uh, 30-year uh, senior commander, uh, highly decorated. And so um, with him, we're able to sort of build these mega structures uh, and allow for that transition to actually happen um, to sort of, you know, a more reliable, clean energy uh, solution to local communities, yeah. to island communities, and it's especially to, you know, um, areas where we can decentralize it. Um, yeah. Prime example would be like New York Harbor. You know, they have a lot of different boroughs, there, but there's a lot of people in each borough, uh, Staten Island, Bronx, Brooklyn. So you could build structures all around uh, New York Harbor and literally not get in anyone's way. And, uh, the added benefit to that is once the structures are done, you have a reliable energy source that can withstand a Category 5 hurricane for at least 24 to 48 hours. And, Very important. Uh, yeah. 
the you know the external solar panels the wind turbines and so forth might get you know damaged that's why the internal reservoir to maintain operations during those kinds of events so that uh, and then after we can uh, do a black start which is uh, helping the thermal power plant uh, turn back on because normally they turn them off and yeah, when it yeah. comes yeah when it comes to like uh, like say for example new york harbor they get a lot of flooding so in the future they're looking at storm surge gates and protection our structures would be able to maintain their uh, pump system so that uh, if these rivers of rain came in like before the water has the ability to run off into the harbor which is lowered now because we've been able to pump the water out and create sort of a, a bathtub effect where you can fill in more water. That's very so. forward thinking. I mean, it's as I keep telling people, you know, our climate issues, our energy issues, it's not a one solution problem. We need multiple solutions, multiple ideas. And you very artistically outlined how every aspect of your humpback hydro system, you've considered the, the uh, concrete that you use or the cement, You've considered where you put it. You've considered the durability of hurricanes, because yes, we are seeing many more of those come through, much more, you know, wild, horrible storms. Um, wildfires coming through, I'm sure you probably thought of that one too, of making them durable. Um, yeah, that's been horrifying to see T towns, homes, Hawaii, oh, here yeah. in uh, my province, the town was obliterated, so yeah. Oh yeah, Northern Ca Northern California, uh, it's, yeah. And it's um, it's not going away anytime soon. So the more we prepare and mitigate for these losses, the better we are. Now you were able to take your humpback hydro and scale it up to actually address our grid issues, our energy grid needs, because we just keep consuming more and more energy. Yeah, the the ability to scale up and especially so really what the structure is, it's also a generation and storage. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of the way it's designed, you know, 10 megawatts uh, every hour, if we need to increase that for, uh, say, peak demand, for example, mm -hmm. or for nighttime, the, the energy is uh, five megawatts more is needed. So because we've stored enough for 36 hours and because we know we're going to have solar the next day or wind the next day, we can increase our output, our discharge to say 20 megawatts or 15 or, or 30 megawatts in for a few hours or, or more to address that. And so for the grid, we can build structures which are 100 megawatts, 1000 megawatts structures, large structures, which yeah. can provide a utility um, arbitrage which um the, the the utilities that have pump storage hydro know the benefits and that's they can store that energy and use it later store yeah. it for two cents three cents a kilowatt uh hour and uh discharge it for six and still make a profit um so it's very important yeah. aspect actually because when we um one of the things everyone talks about when they talk about renewable energy no matter what form of renewable energy it may be we talk about efficiency, we talk about cost. So I want to talk first efficiency, where you and I discussed that um, one megawatt of humpback hydro in one year saves, I believe, it was 5,000 barrels of oil. Is that correct? Uh, approximately, yeah. Um, but or like 5,500. It was a large amount of oil that we were saving. <laughs> and that's that's based on EPA figures, their calculations of, you know, of fossil fuel burning. 
to renewable yeah, energy. So, and the, that um, fossil fuel burning is, you gave me the number of 3,500 tons of CO2 that would not have been emitted as pollution. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, uh, you know, I mean, let me just state that, you know, um, these are all sort of, you know, estimates based on other agencies. So, yeah. you know, um, I'm just sort of doing a rough estimate on what would my technology provide in the sense of, you know, they're, they're trying to address carbon capture, which, you know, has a lot of, of challenges and the technology is new. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if we're not putting it, as we transition, you know, power plants that, you know, are, are, are still going to be operating in the next 10, 20 years, but no new power plants. So it's sort of important to, you know, as we reduce, we are also being able to um, save those thermal plants from you know, wasting more energy. Okay. Um, the, the cost you know, when you when you consider batteries and other energy storage technologies, and uh, you know, and you calculate in all the variables from efficiency to what's called a levelized cost of storage, it's an equation now that um, the Department of Energy or the NREL, uh, National Research Energy Laboratory, uh, which is U.S. based, um, created. So there's a levelized cost of energy which literally all things um, have, right? Like products to everything like that. And, you know, and then there's a levelized cost of storage. So mm -hmm. in all of that, we have the lowest because of our longevity and our ability to replace, repair, or yeah. refurbish. And also that, you know, um, it's, you know, how would you say it's... Um, Based on a kilowatt, uh, batteries right now, I think, are anywhere from like $1,700 a kilowatt to roughly $3,000 a kilowatt. The higher the price, you're dealing with more hours. Okay. So if it's like a $1,700, you are probably having only a two-hour uh, discharge time. Um, you know, at, now, batteries are also very expensive to replace, though, because as you mentioned earlier, as you use it yeah. more and more, it loses its ability to hold its charge. Yeah. And then you have to buy another one. And I, you know, I, I've heard that some of them are $10,000 just to replace. Uh, that would be pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty okay. cheap. I mean, if you're when you're looking at like when you talk about the kilowatt. Um, so you, if you're looking for the megawatt, you got to times that by a thousand. So that would be 1.7 to like $2.4 million for a megawatt of okay. battery storage at, you know, some say 90% and then, but that, um, declines at a 4%, um, rate degradation rate. Um, some others, it, it's, it's sort of like, they don't really, um, fully explain like every benefit and every disadvantage of the technology because i was said, thinking like tesla batteries in a car um i wasn't thinking scaling up to the size of grid so that yeah. that's on me of, oh um, yeah no with oh, sorry. sorry yeah um then that's a pretty good price for a car to have a battery replaced because yeah. the batteries are really great for like that mobile application especially electrification uh, hydrogen has its benefits, electrification, batteries, but then we also have a critical mineral 
metal crisis. Yes, we do. And so <laughs> that, yeah, I'll be, you know, we have technology that we're bringing to bear on that. Um, but, you know, that's for another another time. Yes, folks, stay tuned because Mark is working on many patents right now. So he's going to be coming back a lot. <laughs> yeah. the, the one thing I will say before, I, you know, before this is, is that the technology, the next technology I'm going to do is called the Aqua Wall. And I just went through proof of concept with uh, University of British Columbia and the University of Victoria. And that's the storm surge. It's sort of a living seawall and a oh, way neat. to protect our coastal uh, communities that are very um, low lying. Yeah, uh, agricultural based. the The reason why it's called a living seawall is that um, marine life can um, migrate on through it without uh, any uh, impediments. But when the nice. storm comes, we can shut everything down and then protect from that storm surge, which is usually the most devastating thing. But I digress. I'll get to that another time. Yeah, yeah we're the, gonna come back to that one in the future. <laughs> the cost of humpback is roughly five thousand dollars a kilowatt. So five million dollars a megawatt, um, fifty million dollars to about you know, and depending, right? You know, it's a construction job. So the, you know, yeah. sometimes weather delays and so fifty to seventy million dollars, you get ten megawatts, and that's ten megawatts. So that would be 87,600 megawatt hours a year from 10 megawatts. That's pretty good. I mean, it sounds good. I'm not the expert in this. You're the engineer. Yeah, no, I mean, most right now they're doing is like they got, uh, you know, um, say a 100 megawatt facility or a 10 megawatt facility and they can deliver, um, say, 26,000 okay. megawatts a year depending so it's and that's where the confusion gets in people got to sort of be aware of that when they say kilowatt or kilowatt hour uh, there's ways of like you know sort of making the numbers look good for them but at the end of the day do that yeah (laughs) well i mean i get it you know i mean but for me i'm lucky because pump storage hydro is well proven and governments Uh are used to the i'm not changing anything i'm using the same equipment same pumps turbines and that's really where the innovation has come from like in my industry um some smart people have made pumps very efficient so i can move like 60 meters per second of water for like four megawatts every hour and in that i can fill up a reservoir that can I can discharge that for like 36 hours at five megawatts. So 180 megawatts for 16, little under 16 megawatts for um, four hours of energy. So that's the, that's sort of the transfer and roughly you're getting a 90, 91% efficiency, but then there's sort of like, yeah, but that will go down because of, the efficiency in the transmission and all that stuff. Um, so things are improving. I mean, um, I know that uh, they've come up with a, a grid resiliency, like so improving infrastructure. And this really does benefit utilities and especially transmission uh, companies that, you know, because the grid can only take so much at, at these AC lines can only take yeah. so much uh, energy at one time. So 
This way it gives the utility the ability to um, save on uh, op operational and maintenance costs of those transmission lines by, you know, storing the energy and then waiting for a better time later or frequency balancing or and, and the cycle repetition that uh, utilities might need, especially today because of the transition to EVs. So yeah. normally peak demand is is peak demand all throughout the day. It all depends, especially at night with all the uh, EV chargers and, you know, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And we've made um, sort of three models. So there's the static model for the uh, grid um, for, uh, and then there's a, we have a distributed energy resource model, which is, you know, say for your EV parking lot, um, to power that parking lot and restore the energy for, for that parking lot, uh, EV, uh, discharging. And then, um, a, um, disaster relief model, but that's usually connected to our mobile platform. Love so the that, fact uh, you're so yeah. forward thinking on on all of these aspects. You really have thought everything through. Yeah, I've had the time. To do it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, um, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's just you know, it's um, like the big problem I see right now today is is the water, energy, food nexus or crisis. is what I call it, and so. Um, the upcoming version would have sort of desalination and, and hydroponics nice. uh, incorporated into it, which basically the structure is to operate and not allow Mother Nature to interfere, but also to capture what our planet can offer from wind to solar and and then just basically transfer it. So, you know, the structures have to be big because energy transfer works that way the laws of thermodynamics have to work that way yeah you know it's not like uh, you know uh, theranos or the blood in the box thing you know where you know you, you can't you can't do that you know like it just you know but with this it's reality not fantasy <laughs> yeah and so you know a client we build to what the client needs or what their future needs are so today they oh yeah you know they need 100 megawatts but in the future we can do a controlled demolition and unlike a regular dam, which might have, you know, a catastrophic event, which would cause a lot of damage, uh, yeah. you know, downstream. And as well as most dams do have sort of a detrimental effect downstream because of the sort of um, the disruption in the oxygenation of mm. the microorganisms to to, you know, amphibian life, to bird life, to all that stuff in a lot of the rivers. And so upstream, you know, you're looking at the, the reservoir and the methane and all of that is created for a number of years uh, due to flooding that area. And so with our structure, we actually benefit marine life because the lower part of the structure we can design to that species and that area's habitat. And so, you know, the big thing for me was marine benefits, right? So um, from our marine experts that we've talked to over the years, um, oxygenation created mm -hmm. from the process of, of returning that um, existing reservoir back to the existing reservoir benefits. We can um, create habitat. <clears throat> we yeah. also create protection 
areas so that uh, marine life can, you know, um, survive because, you know, we might feel a storm up here, but underneath the water, it's usually 10 times worse. And, you know, um, so it gives them a place to hide basically. Yeah. Like we take care of our animals on land, but we don't take care of our fish and so forth. Cause I think people just think it's ridiculous. Right. But we have to consider that, you know, marine habitat, that ecosystem is so vital to us. Cause it oh, will, yeah. You most know, of, yeah. yeah, most people don't realize how important our ocean and oceanography, not oceanography, but our oceans are. Yeah. Um, we gain so much from our ocean environment, including most of our oxygen is coming from the ocean, just so people know. And most of our carbon gets yeah. sucked into the ocean. So very important to keep it alive. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. when people um, I know you, you've been up and running since 2014 and where can people find you? What is the best way for people to contact you? Because this is a technology that we desperately need, especially um, when you start working in your phases with the desalinization. That's a huge thing for California and other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, people need to find you. Um, Humback Hydro, we have a um, online form. Oh, excellent. Okay. And uh, as well as, um, I'm pretty sure you can find me on LinkedIn. Yes, of course you can. Um, <laughs> I tagged you. I found you. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, for, I forget, right? You know, like I don't think about those things, so to speak. But uh, on LinkedIn and, um, you know, we're, we are looking for those for, you know, to collaborate with um, renewable projects, even for, you know, oil and gas to help with their uh, bottom line to, you know, uh, to even the Bitcoin industry, which is so energy intensive um right. now if we're going to that kind of digital currency in the future they used 102 terawatt hours which is uh, to break it down in a, in a easy way eleven thousand six hundred and fifty six megawatts every hour to do bitcoin at their just current stage just to mine bitcoin last ending in october 22 so Bitcoin, th this really benefits like Bitcoin, um, you know, um, desalination, emergency services that need to have 24 hours, you know, energy, like hospitals, for example, yeah. uh, all those kinds of things in which like, you know, at the end of the day, we're not, you know, detrimentally harming our planet just so that, you know, the economy can survive and that's really where the sort of the argument comes the people that know you know we have to continue with fossil fuels because we have no they currently know of no other way to transition yeah right and, and long duration energy storage something that is you know it has to be at least 85 percent. it has to match what traditional pump storage hydro does mm -hmm. you don't need to match mine but just match that and that can discharge for at least six to 12 hours a day. And, but then you also have water cycle disruption. So water cycle disruption causes drought. And of course you can see in Lake Mead, you know, they, they had to, you know, spend almost a billion dollars to, to redo the intake uh, valves. We were almost, we were almost something called Deadpool where you can't even pull anything from it. It's completely yeah. useless. We came very yeah. close to 
Yeah, and that's that's the thing, you know, like with Lake Mead, it's easy. We build my structures off the coast of California and we can easily deliver via renewable energy a water pipeline to refill Lake Mead. And then also then that downstream effect uh, helps other communities right into Arizona. But the whole thing is, is that, you know, we we stop looking to the old, even in traditional pump storage and, and run a river that's, you know, blocking these rivers. There's better ways to do it. And you're going to get almost the same amount of energy and not disrupt, you know, fish migration or create disturbances in the oxygenation or or so much more, you know. No, there's, there's so many benefits to humpback hydro. And the efficiency is phenomenal. 91, 90 to 91% efficiency is phenomenal. Yeah. Being overall, the, some of the facts you gave me was six times cheaper overall than just yeah. electric. And as I've said previously, it's a multi-solution problem. We have not one solution. Yeah. Um, so I do want to say one thing yeah. that uh, back in 20, uh, 2013, I had a meeting with the NRC, three departments, and my the man who validated the technology w- attended the meeting. His name is Dr. Ziad, Z-I-A-D, Shawash, S-H-A-W-W-A-S-H. And he is from civil engineering at UBC. I think he's retired now. Uh, brilliant man, uh, hydroelectric expert and large structure expert. And he thought back then that we could achieve 90% efficiency. And, you know, that was, yeah, like he saw it long before I did. I had to, you know, take this long to figure it and prove it and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's that kind of thing. It's that the experts are out there that, that know that this would work. And now we have something that we can implement for global transition. It just takes sort of government and, um, and and platforms like this to help with public awareness. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, anytime. Yeah. This is what I do. This yeah. public awareness is everything that I focus on, just to make sure people know that yeah. technology like yours exists, people like you exist. This is the whole reason for it. Um, so I do thank you for your time because I know that you are quite busy, and I really hope that people start adopting this new technology because it is what we need to solve our energy issues. Heck, call it a crisis. We're we're heading that way. Um, so they, they, they did say that today. Um, yeah. Oh, really? that, um, yeah. yeah, it was on the news. And I think it's going to be one of the headlines of the news is that um, uh, there's been sort of there'll be a 110 percent increase in fossil fuel production to 2030. And the transition is in sort of jeopardy. Um, yeah. You know, it, it just at this point, you know, I think, you know, it, it's becoming more known and really what we're doing is as as simple as building a car parking lot right it's just we're doing the same thing we're just doing it in the ocean which we've always been able to do and instead of storing cars we store water and it's just you know and we can build it to you what you need so um thank you again really this is wonderful Anytime. So, um, guys, please check out Humpback Hydro, Mark Legacy. Very important that this technology is adopted and adopted quickly because it is an energy solution that we desperately need. 
does not give off emissions, it just uses water. So look on his website, he's got the whole diagrams out there, it's very simple to understand. So Mark, thank you so much for your time, very important work that you're doing. I'm Wendy Nystrom, your host with Environmental Social Justice, and we will catch you next time. Take care, guys. Bye.